May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Well, there was quite a contrast in those two scripture readings, wasn't there? There was David who, it, the scripture about David, and that was the, the recommended Old Testament reading for this week, who, it describes the time when David did just about the worst thing he ever did in his life. Not just about, it was the worst thing he had ever done in his life. And the consequences of that. Contrasted by, and I chose these, those two verses from the Gospel of John that say to us what God intends for us, what God is doing for us and with us and through Jesus. Not to condemn us, not to destroy us, but to bring us life, life eternal. And as Jesus says in other parts of in the Gospel of John, other parts of the Gospel of John, fullness of life and joy. Well, how do you get from being imperfect people to people living in that fullness of life? Now, the Bible is full of imperfect people. I could just have a few to share with you here. I mean, it wasn't just David, but uh, even, and he was also a hero. He was a hero and, an, and a very imperfect person. And there was Abraham, who God had promised a son to, and Abraham stopped, you know, kind of gave up and said, we're getting, you know, that Sarah and I are getting so old, I, I'm going to take her her maidservant as a second wife so I can have a son with her, which he did. But later, God sent angels to Abraham and Sarah's home and said that Sarah was going to have a baby, and Sarah just laughed. <laughs> she too doubted, but she did. Isaac was born. And Moses, when he, when he was, met the burning bush, was met by God in that burning bush, and, and God says, I have a job for you to go back and free the Israelites. Oh, Moses had excuses. Oh, all these reasons he couldn't do it. And God answered every one of his excuses and said, yes, you can do it, because I'll be with you, and I'll also send your brother Aaron to help you. So Moses went. But even after all that Moses had experienced in bringing the people out of Egypt and into the desert where they were traveling to the promised land, he had his moments of weakness and doubt too. And he even broke all the Ten Commandments. Now, what? You, what, he, what broke all the Ten Commandments? Well, when he went up on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments and he came down and he saw that the people had, had built a golden calf and were worshiping the golden calf because he'd been gone so long. He got so mad, he threw the Ten Commandments on the ground and thereby broke all the Ten Commandments. You got it, Jim. <laughs> uh, well, it's true. But God provided another set for them. 
but, uh, and uh, there was um, Jonah who tried to run away from what God asked him to do. And Jeremiah, the prophet, who did go around being a prophet, but he complained about it all the time. There are several sections in the book of Jeremiah that are called his laments. Oh, God, this is so hard. Why are you asking me to do this? And then there were people like Rahab who saved the the spies that that, uh, Joshua sent into Jericho She was a prostitute, but she was saved because she saved those spies, and she is actually included in the genealogy of Jesus. There are James and John, the two who argued about who was going to get to sit next to Jesus in heaven, and Peter, who denied knowing Jesus. And Paul, who was a persecutor of the church but became the apostles to the Gentiles, and who also said, I sometimes I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. All imperfect people. And there are many more in the scriptures whom God uses, chooses and uses. That's the good news. God uses imperfect people. In fact, with the exception of Jesus, God only uses imperfect people because there are no other perfect people but Jesus. And he had the advantage of being both fully human and fully divine. But since God uses only imperfect people, that means that God can and wants to use us to bless the world. And God provides the means for us to do that. First, there is God's love which never fails for us. The psalm is full of refrains that say, God's goodness is everlasting, God's faithfulness is everlasting, God's love is everlasting, God's mercy is everlasting. And more than a willingness, God has more than a willingness to forgive, uh, God has a desire to forgive. God came into the world Jesus, in Jesus not to save the world, not to condemn the world. What we need is a corresponding willingness to do, to do, as we say these days, to be accountable for our actions and our inactions sometimes. For, as it say, we say in one of the traditional prayers of confession, for what we have done and what we have left undone. And included in that willingness to be accountable for them, the so David was, he said, you know, when confronted by Nathan, he, he, it's, it hit him what he had done. I have sinned against the Lord. Including in that willingness to accept or to uh, recognize our imperfections is a willingness to accept correction. Now, none of us likes to be told that we're wrong or that we've done something wrong. Most of us 
usually, I mean, I, I, I still have, you know, if I, if I messed up, I still have a fear that, that you know, some light, a bolt of lightning is going to drop, hit me in the head, or somebody's going to really tell me off and not to say, you know, that wasn't the right thing. I think you should fix that, but just really go off on me. I mean, I, I, how many of you have shared that fear that, uh, you know, there are people who will just, I see somebody raising their hand, but how many of us that, I think we all have it, at least in regards to certain people. But uh, God talks about correction not in terms of getting all over people and yelling and screaming at them and, and making them feel worthless. Uh, in, in the scriptures it says, the Lord's servant, and that could be us any time that we need to point out to somebody that they're making a mistake or that they've done something that they shouldn't have. It says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant then that they will repent and come to know the truth and that they may escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. So correction is not meant to be condemnation. It's meant to be gentle and something that leads us towards the right. We all need to learn that God's correction for us is to lead us to the right. And we need to be careful how we, when we are called upon to give some correction to someone else, that we do it in the way recommended here, with gentleness, not self-righteousness, not anger, with gentleness. And sometimes we need to be willing to take steps to correct the harm that we've done as far as is possible. You know, in the 12-step programs, one of the things is whenever possible where it will not cause further harm to another person to make amends, even if it's just an apology. We need to be willing to do that. And, and, we, and we do have to sometimes deal with the consequences of what we have done that are not so pleasant. Sometimes... We're going to pay a fine. You know, if we do something really, really bad or really illegal, we may end up in jail for a while. It's not what I wish for any of you, and it's not what God wishes for any of you. But sometimes there are consequences that we have to deal with. But Jesus has repaired the rift between us and God and removed any of the eternal consequences that will separate us from God and the life and eternal life and will lead us back into the fullness of life in this life if we'll follow him. He guides our lives and the Holy Spirit guides our lives and continues to give us the wisdom to understand how Jesus' teaching applies to our lives to get today 
and the Holy Spirit empowers us, strengthening us and giving us the courage to do what we know is right even in the face of opposition. But the reality is we're a bunch of imperfect people desperately loved by God living among other imperfect people. So here are just a few thoughts on how we can do that more successfully in addition to being gentle with our opponents. Firm in our own convictions, yes, but gentle with our opponents. And one that Jesus mentions frequently is do not judge others. Do not sit in judgment of others. You may disagree with them, You may have questions about the choices that they're making. But judging others usually means setting yourself up as being better than they are. And none of us is perfect. We all have our blind sides. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our failings. And if, when we are dealing with those who have we disagree with or think have done something wrong besides being gentle with them. Matthew tells, Jesus in Matthew tells us, if, you, if someone has harmed you, what's the right thing to do? If you think someone has done something that's harmed you, what are you supposed to do? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, okay, I'll give you A, B, and C. Okay, A... Tell everybody you know that knows that person. B, immediately write a letter to the editor of the paper saying how bad that person is. C, going, go and talk to that person. How many of you vote for A? B, how many think C was the answer that Jesus gave? Yeah, of course. Go and talk to that person. And if that doesn't work, then Jesus says, take another person with you. And I don't think Jesus meant take another person with you to talk to that person, to take your side. But to listen to both sides and help you hear each other and repair the rift. So, don't go around, don't make it your business to go around thinking that eh, about what everybody else is doing wrong. But when there is an occasion when you have felt wronged, go talk to the person. Don't triangulate, as they say, dragging in a bunch of other people. And if you need to have someone mediate, find someone that can be impartial and hear you both clearly to help you resolve it, not to, gang, not to bring someone to gang up on them. And when you are talking with opponents, be firm in your beliefs, but be gentle with them. Now, in a different aspect of living with other imperfect people, meaning everybody else, Here's another thing that I think is important. 
Don't idolize other people. Don't set them up on pedestals. If we idolize other people, we tend to give them unquestioning allegiance. You know, oh, they're perfect. Whatever they say is right. You know, they're, they, can't do, they can do no wrong. That can be very harmful. There are some people, some who are very charismatic, who do not have good intentions. And if we let go of our own values and our own judgments because we're idolizing them and we'll accept anything they say or do, we can get sucked into doing or supporting something that is very harmful. You know, even in the military, if your commanding officer gives you an illegal order, you're not to obey it. If your commanding officer gives you an illegal order, you not to obey it. We need not to idolize people, to not give away our ability to make judgments. And idolizing others is, does do that. Takes away our ability to make good judgments. Now, you know, and, and there is that commandment about not making, having no idols. And, and most of the time in churches we talk about money and power and material things as idols. But sometimes we make other people into idols. And that is not good. It's not even good when we put good people on idols. On pedestals. People are basically good people. Because inevitably, at some point, they'll fall off the pedestal. They'll disappoint you in some way. Now, if we never put them on the pedestal in the first place, we wouldn't be so hurt. We wouldn't feel so betrayed. We'll go, well, yeah, they're human too. That's okay. I probably disappointed them. But if we put people on pedestals, then our disappointment. I had a, a friend who, a new person moved to town, and, this, and she was just the perfect friend, you know? And I liked her, and, and she was always, you know, inviting us out to lunch, and she'd go on vacation, and she'd bring us gifts, and, and, and my, my, my other friend, okay, friend A is the friend that I had before. Friend B is the one who moved to town. And friend, but friend A just thought friend B could do, you know, was just perfect. And then for one day, friend B just kind of ghosted everybody. Well, I thought I had, I wasn't too upset because I thought it was too good to be true. But my friend A was really hurt, really hurt. So it's not good for them, and it's not good for us. Here's an example from the Olympics. Simone Biles, who has been unable to compete, who has been carrying the label GOAT, greatest of all time, for over a year, even before that. <laughs> But coming up to this, this Olympics, greatest of all time. 
And you, now, I don't know if you understand fully what happened to her. I mean, it's not like, oh, I'm just feeling the pressure and I don't know if I can pee. It was not that. She is suffering from, has been suffering from something that gym, gymnasts and divers alike suffer from called the twisties, in which, at, for some reason, the mind and body, which had been in perfect sync all along, something happens and they get out of sync. And what you're thinking in your mind, your body is going to do, it doesn't do. And when you are competing in something like diving or gymnastics at a high level, the things that you do to do them when you have the twisties is dangerous. Imagine flying off the high bar with the twisties and landing instead of on your feet, on your back or your head. You could end up paralyzed or even dead. But there are people that are, she's been getting a lot of support, but there's also been some very harsh critics. What's wrong with her? It's harmful to people to put them in impossible positions. She's the GOAT. She's the greatest of all times. The expectations were incredible. And I read one comment uh, from someone that said, what if in the last six months, all the people who start, had started out interviews with her that started out with asking her, well, you're the greatest of all time, what are you gonna do at the Olympics? Had not said that to her, but had just said, you're really, really talented and you're really good what do you hope to do at the Olympics? We don't know what caused her twisties, but I wouldn't be surprised if carrying the word goat around wasn't helpful. And also, another group, and, and anybody in any profession that is constantly pushed and pressured with carrying the expectations of being perfect or trying to be perfect, can uh, really suffer. And one of them, my friends, is pastors. You know, the dropout rate among pastors is really high. And I've known a couple people personally who have left the ministry. One left very wounded and one left very bitter. Now, this congregation, in my experience, here does not put ridiculous pressure on their pastor. And I got to tell you, you have got a good pastor now. But please lift Alex and Shelly and the kids up in your prayers and in your acts of appreciation. You know, if you have needs or ideas or desires, express them, but express them as your needs, your ideas, your desires, not everyone says or other people say or everyone wants. And realize that no people, no one person can do it all. Be willing to make things that you believe are important happen. Be an active part 
of the team. Because we are all on the same team. And God needs us all. No matter how imperfect or how limited we think we are, God sees in each and every one of us far more potential and far more ability than we know that we have. So believe, 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 believe that no matter what imperfections you've had in the past or you have now, God loves you and has always loved you. And God believes in you. You are created in the image of likeness and likeness of God. And God wants more than anything to give you fullness of life and joy now and eternal life someday. So, so we're not perfect. God loves us. Amen.